And so that could be a bad thing. The great aspect of technology and how, how change is so simple could make us unable to make decisions in the future. We've got too many opportunities for choice and change. So um, that could be something. But again, we're really just dealing with a current parameter that stops us from growing. We have to grow up. A wise man once said. A wise man once said. The best way to predict the future is to create it. You're about to experience a next level show. Scientists, entrepreneurs, thought leaders. You're listening to the Future of Humanity podcast. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Carl Taylor, and I hope you've been enjoying the episode so far. This is episode three of season one of Future of Humanity. Now, if you are just joining us, I highly recommend that you go back and you check out episode one, where we talked all about the future of electricity distribution through some incredible technologies such as blockchain, as well as episode two. Check that out, where we discussed the hidden epidemic that we are all facing with our jaw structures that's leading to crooked teeth and breathing problems on an incredible scale. After this episode, make some time to go back and check them out if you miss them. Now, today I have the pleasure of introducing you to Dave Many. Dave is the owner and director of Yenem Engineering Services, where they work with mostly mining companies to help them get the most out of their structures and a result, improve their production, as well as ensuring their plant is code compliant. The reason that I got Dave on the show is he and his company are working on some pretty cool stuff in the 3D printing space. And what his company is doing is frankly a game changer in the mining industry with how structures are being built and how maintenance can be done. So in today's episode, we talk about 3D printing plastics versus 3D printing steel. We discuss the use of drones and online 3D models and how they're being used on a mining site and just how the improvements that we're seeing in 3D printing are ultimately going to change the face of many ways that we currently do things. Now, there were a couple of issues we had with the audio on this one. There were some people sitting behind Dave in his team, in his office, and unfortunately, some of the noise they were making in the background was just a little too loud. We've done our best to clean up the audio, uh, but if you have a few of those sections where you're like, there's background noise, apologies for that. We've definitely learnt for future episodes to ensure that that doesn't happen. So just wanted to give you that heads up if you're like, hey, there's noise in the background. We are aware of it and you shouldn't expect that in future episodes. So let's get into the episode. Thanks, Dave, for joining us. Super excited to have you here. You know, we've known each other for a little while now, right? Well, not known each other super well, but we've been connected on social media and travel in similar circles. And it's funny today... I had a, a brainwave or realization that the name of your company is your last name backwards. Is that right? Yeah, it is. I've got clients that have, they're probably as old as I've been working with them and they still haven't connected that. And then there's others that, um, that see it straight away. So it's, a, it's an interesting test, I think, an accidental test I've got um, to see what, uh, how laterally thinking my, uh, the person I'm talking to is. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. I, yeah, Yenem Engineering, and then uh, Many is your last name. So uh, yeah, that's right. So yeah, look, look, let's talk a bit about kind of what you do. So your company is is Yenem Engineering Services. Like, how long have you been doing that? And and in general, engineering and what you do. Sure. So structural engineering started when I finished uni in eighty seven. 
I worked initially at design office as one of two structural engineers. So I was just the, the newbie uh, there. And we worked in uh, an industry that serviced Alcoa mostly. So it was a, it was structural engineering work, but in a very mechanical uh, and industrial environment. Not at all what I expected, I guess, coming out of uni and having learned a lot more um, about public buildings and bridges and, and those sorts of things. Um, but I liked it and discovered it was a, a pretty good niche to be in. So after five years working there, I tried a few different contract roles at various companies uh, around Perth here. Generated a bit of an audience of, of customers, I guess, of clients that wanted me to do work, um, mostly at night and outside, yeah, outside of normal working hours. And um, so I got to a point where I was busier um, back home after dark doing engineering designs for a decent amount of money than I was um, doing my my full-time role during the day. And I had to come to that crossroad and think, well, what am I going to do? I can't keep doing all of this. I was recently married and we were just starting to build a house and I thought, well, it's either one or the other. And I decided to take uh, all of the customers um, and, and slowly, I thought, build uh, a consulting business for um, structural engineering. And things moved fairly quickly and... Um, and I never looked back. So yeah, also I think you, you just mentioned slow. You know, it, you, slowly you thought, but I'm guessing yeah. it, saying it moved faster for you than than you expected. Yeah, I think, um, I think if you start building a house and you want most of the time um, available to put into that, it's not going to happen that way. And Murphy's law suggests um, that I'd be a lot busier. And you know, making money is a is a good thing before spending it. So, but it was successful, and and for 11 years it was just myself. Um, in a, in a home office environment, which was fantastic, um, designing structures in my boxer shorts. And then in about 11 years into it, I decided that I wanted to pass on knowledge to uh, other engineers, train engineers, and I employed a graduate engineer. And that was quite successful. Um, that was John, and he um, stayed around for about 11 years in, in the business. Um, and over the time, we just moved from uh, the home office to a nearby commercial location to an office. And we've had yeah, a number of staff and, you know, people have come and gone. What types of clients you work with is like industrial, like what would you describe? Like who? what's the industry and the clients you're working with right now? So we work in the mining industry predominantly, except for when the GSC came along and, and we had to make some adjustments. I'm happy to say we're sort of back busy with mining again. But, yeah, most of our clients are, are mining uh, companies uh, or service providers to mining companies that provide equipment. Uh, say screens and those sorts of things. So a very mechanically oriented client base. Yeah. In in this engineering space, um, and you're doing some really cool stuff. And I'm excited to kind of pick your brains about some of the 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 exciting things you're doing in the engineering space. You've been doing that from what I my research showed me like going on, if not more, 30 years. Uh, I'm guessing in that time, if is that one, is that correct? And in that time, uh, have you seen the technology landscape change much in those 30 years or is it more of a recent phenomenon that that it's really starting to change in the technology being used? Yeah, I think um, I think it's more recent. I think we've done a lot of the same thing for a long time and I think that's still the case in design offices really, pulled out of the drawer and, and repeated and, and rebadged and, and over and over we go. Um, I think the last few years, well, actually, I think it's downturn time that, that gets you thinking about new ways and smart ways of doing things because it's important in business that we reinvent ourselves frequently to stay uh, ahead of the rest. Absolutely. Um, and, un- and I guess, unfortunately, um, creativity tends to happen when you're quiet 
and gets put on the back burner when you're not. So um, if we've been busy for 25 out of those 30 years, we haven't been doing a great deal of creating. We've been, we've been yeah, putting fires out basically, just getting on with the jobs and wishing that we had more time to do things smartly or better or, or for whatever reasons um, different. Okay, well, I mean, that's a great transition into you've been, you're doing some creative things uh, in the engineering space right now, uh, in particular around 3D printing. I also know you're doing some cool stuff with drones and modeling. But what I really want to talk to you more about is, is a product, I believe you call it Alt Connect. Is, is, that, is that, am I saying it right? Like, how would you explain yeah. it? Yeah, having an idea and then putting a name to it is a really, uh, having an idea is a good thing. Putting a name to it is really difficult. Um, I had a couple of other ones, and it'll make more sense, I guess, when when we talk more about the connection. But it's a friction-based connection, and I thought Fricon uh, would have been a, a good one, a friction yeah. good one. Um, <laughs> Very Aussie yeah. too, right? I like that. Yeah, perhaps um, a little bit too colloquial. But, um, so I came up with that. It's an alternative connection, so I thought, well, Alt Connect could work. And we started to write that into our media press releases and things, and and then I Googled uh, Alt Connect because I wanted to register that name. And uh, it's also um, associated with a, a Bitcoin thing. So, All right. Um, yeah, so I guess my, my immediate aim is to flood the market with Alt Connect, the steel connection, not Alt Connect, the um, cryptocurrency stuff. Yeah. Cryptocurrency thing, yeah. Awesome. Um, but it is it's a, an alternative um, method of, of connection, uh, connected steel. So. so talk to me about that, right? Like, so... It is, as I understand it, you're essentially 3D printing steel, right? Yeah. Now, um, many people who might be listening, they might be familiar with the idea of 3D printers who work with plastic. Is it essentially the same concept just with steel or like talk to me about firstly, how does it work? And then we'll talk into kind of why it was a necessary. I'll, um, I'll talk about the connection itself just briefly and then lead that into 3D printing because the whole, this whole concept of connection is only made possible, for, as far as I'm concerned, because of 3D printing in steel. And that is because of tight tolerances. So I've got a little demonstration thing here. I'm just holding oh, cool. this up to the camera. This is basically just a, an L-shaped column and, and beam that we've printed uh, in plastic. But the idea of the connection is that you have two tightly fitted components. So you've got this, what we're calling the spigot, and then you've got this hollow section here called the socket. But basically, it's just one fits over the other. It's as simple as that. And the theory is that when you put bending into that connection, you give it strength so that it resists tension. So I'm actually pushing upwards at the moment and nothing's happening. It's not, it's not coming out like, like that. And it's that bending that's, that's allowing that um, friction to, to really um, to bed in and, and hang on. If we were to manufacture that out of steel under normal, normal methods, our first and biggest problem that we've always had is um, tolerances. So a 400 mil diameter pipe is not 400 mils in diameter, uh, and it's not circular. So when you're trying to fit one of those inside another, um, you've got to give a generous amount of tolerance to ensure that the out of roundness and the out of tolerance in the dimensions still allows them to fit together. So at best, you've got a sloppy connection, and a sloppy connection is not going to give us what we need, which is a firm grip. Well, a sloppy connection, I mean, if we put that in construction terms, right, a sloppy connection would be a building doesn't stay up, like a construction falls down, like it's not safe. Like, is that what we're talking about? Yeah, it's not serviceable. I suppose if we build columns and put beams on them and, 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 and there's a loose fit at every connection, um, when the wind blows, the, 
the building could drift a meter um, before all of the everything's taken up. And, you know, obviously that's not serviceable. So things to be tightly um, tightly fitting uh, and three D printing um, gives us that opportunity, albeit very new and um, expensive and uh, limited in terms of um, size and so on. It's an emerging technology. It's, it's been around some time and it's getting better every week, really. So it gives us the opportunity to create steel components that we would otherwise have to mill out of a, a machine and start with a big, huge piece of steel and, and mill it down. Uh, and who would do that? I mean, that's just an, an, an overly expensive uh, exercise. That's an interesting thing. Like, what was the process before this? Like, what is currently being done or what were you doing before you had this option available to you? Like, Yeah, no, it's a good question. So where did the whole idea of doing this differently come from? Yeah. It's really what you're saying. I suppose for years and years we've been building, in mining structures, we're doing them the same way. So we're, we're designing them out of beams, columns, braces, and so on. In the computer, we're using standard connection concepts, which is just cleats and, and bolts and welds. So for people who don't know what cleats and, I mean, bolts and welds might make sense, but what about cleats? What exactly? Cleats welded to beams that allow you to connect one piece to the other um, gotcha. with, with holes drilled in it um, yeah, to allow it to be bolted up. So all of those items would go to site um, out in the middle of nowhere somewhere um, with expensive labour and then they would be put together basically piece by piece. And so um, there's got to be a better thing, better way of doing things. And there is this modularization. So for years now, we've been looking at modularizing structural components, building floors rather than beams, um, building whole structures rather than um, single sticks, and so on. But then you've got other issues like the volumetric um, space in a, in a ship uh, and the cost associated with volume over tons. Um, you've got wide loads um, making transport of these things difficult and so on. So Yeah, right. Well, IKEA and their flat pack concept is is probably the the idea around. It's IKEA for full building. IKEA for steel structures. Yeah, for it's, steel structures. Yeah. That's, that, yeah. yeah, great. And it's a good analogy because IKEA's furniture is amazing the way it all joins together. Almost the same concept without nails and, and hammers and nails. You know, things are things are pretty um, are clicked together or pushed together or, or whatever. So. Yeah, so we're looking at a flat pack idea. That way you can transport pieces as opposed to huge big items, um, but still be able to handle them much quicker on site. That's quite interesting to me because, I mean, you know, sometimes you might think, well, if 3D printing can do this with all these other, you know, not just plastics, but with steel, why wouldn't you just print the whole um, cons- you know, structure? But as you've said, like, clearly that's an issue of, well, how do you transport it from where it's made? I mean, is it possible though that the could it ever at some point in the future be printed on site completely in one thing? Is is that a potential future thing, or are we years away from that ever happening? Or you don't think it would ever happen? I think it would. I mean, you know, if you ask the question about a little Nokia phone, could it actually tell us the temperature one day, or could it, you know, could it tell us an email one day? These sort of questions get answered over time. There's got to be a reason for it. It's got to be. It's got to be practical and useful. But um, on a mining site, let's use mining. It's my it's my area of expertise. Um, you need uh, spare parts. So every conveyor needs spare idlers. Every um, and you can't have a whole array of these different things in in the workshop. So you've got to standardise on components for every plant that you build. You've got to provide a whole pile of spares so that they're available. Um, if something goes wrong, then you don't have you know. There's no time to wait um, for something to be shipped or flown to 
to site. So there's definitely a case in the future where you need a new part. You, you just put your requisition order in and the printer starts up, goes all night, and, and you go and grab your component uh, when it's ready. And, yeah, print and it on you, site, on demand. Yeah, absolutely. So, so storage becomes tiny. You've got a room with a printer in it and a whole pile of, you know, a whole pile of uh, material for printing, and, um, and and you wait for the time um, required to do that. So, yeah, I think that the future, even just looking at non-metallic parts, you know, the, the plastic printing industry and, and so on, that's, that's really becoming quite a thing. I love the saying about 3D printing, it's dream it, print it. You know? So um, that's possible with printing. If you can model it, if you can visualise it, and you can model it, um, you can create it, and you can't do that uh, with normal manufacturing. That we, you know, we're stuck with our, our steel beam lines and our bolts and our welds and everything being orthogonal, um, so it's easy to analyze and design for us, and that's really restrictive. It doesn't give us scope to have um, amazing different things. So, does that mean that by being able to three D print? steel structures now and not just plastics and such like being able to 3d print with metals does that mean that previously possibly impossible types of structures are now possible like is it does it fundamentally change some of the dynamics of what can be done that in the past with the traditional ways weren't possible or is it more just a matter of making things cheaper faster what does that impact yeah, cheaper, faster, lighter, they're all requirements for a, for, the, for an end product, whatever that end product is. But the one that comes to mind is, a, is one we found a couple of years ago when we started this research, and one of the airlines um, wanted to investigate 3D printing and the modelling goes with the 3D printing to minimise the weight of the, of the seats. And I think specifically these were the fold-down seats that the hostess, the, the, the airline staff use when they have to anchor. Yeah, right. The, the, the flight attendants, they sit down and stuff, yep. And as we all know, in a plane we're talking, you know, kilos are important, not tons. So um, modelling of the, of the support structures for their seating was done using uh, modelling that followed the important stress paths and only designed uh, something um, that, that carried the stress an optimal uh, an optimal way. So the result was a very weird looking thing behind the you know behind the, the fabric. Um, it wasn't just two vertical steel struts with a horizontal bit and so on. It was it was a very interesting looking thing because it was it was just providing metal where metal needed to be and holes everywhere else. Now you can't fabricate that with normal methods. You'd start with the big heavy lump and then you'd start drilling and cutting holes all through it. Now why would you do that? And that would Unnecessary. So, so it cha- it really kind of changes those of you who are designing these. Stru- it kind of it it gives you new options and and kind of changes the way you think about it. You're no longer restricted just to I have to connect these pieces together. It's what if it was all one piece? Yeah, and it makes it quite hard to to even visualize and create those things because we're we're hardwired to think conventionally, aren't we? So any new thing is really just, uh, I think these days, anyway, it's innovation, not invention. Any new thing still comes from a traditional concept. It takes time and, and other people's contributions and everything to end up being something completely different uh, in the end. And I guess our, our little connection here is completely different than the one we sketched up some time ago before 3D printing came about, and that was our roadblock. It was We've got all these pieces of steel that are meant to go on 
on go to site and, and, and be installed very, very quickly. And we're using more bolts. We've got all these packers. It's, it's crap. Like, what are we doing this for? Who needs this? And, and that got shelved and 3D printing came along and the light bulb went off again and, and um, I thought, well, wow, you can actually do this now. So The idea came, but the technology wasn't readily available or in existence yet. And then when it came yeah. along, you could bring the idea back. I love that. That's so great. Yeah. One thing that I've been curious about is, let's say the current way of doing things um, with with welds and, and, and bolts is by a, a fully... 3D printed piece or as the connections that you've created where they kind of like kind of connect together in, in my head when the, you were describing it and, and sh- visually showing it, uh, it was a bit like a, a pen lid going on in yeah. a way. And is that safer, exactly the same or less structurally sound? I'm guessing it's not less su- structurally sound. Like let's say earthquakes, for example, how does the 3D printing stand up against like if you're in an earthquake-prone area, is it better, roughly the same, or what is that like? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I suppose it's not so much about the 3D printing. It's about the type of structure. So actually in earthquakes, um, the, the structures depends on the stiffness of the structure as to how much load it attracts, which is a little bit different than if you just jump on a beam, you know, you weigh 80 kilos, that's the load that's going into the beam and, and so on. But an earthquake, if you've got something very stiff and resistant to ground acceleration, um, it'll, it's going to attract more load than, than one that's a lot more um, forgiving, if you like. I suppose it's like the old um, FJ Holden versus the resisted impact versus these new cars that crush so easily. And, and as a result, you know, the driver stays alive because the forces are so much less. So in an earthquake situation, a sway structure is actually a pretty good idea. And a sway structure just simply means you've got beams and columns that that are connected strongly together so that they resist bending, um, as opposed to, say, a truss or something like that that's got a whole pile of angular elements in it, which becomes a lot stiffer, uh, moves less, but it also attracts a lot more load than an earthquake. Sorry to interrupt. Like, yeah. Does that mean that with 3D printing it's easier to create sway structures or is it no different? I'm, I'm trying to understand, oh. does 3D printing make things safer or is it really roughly the same and it's really about that cheaper, faster kind of manufacturing process. Yeah, I guess the 3D printing of this connection isn't to enable a structure like that to be to be built because we would simply just do that now with a with a beam, with a column and a, a bunch of bolts. What the difference is you know, the way we currently build structures, you've got to erect scaffolding, people have got to work at height, um, you need you need to crane in every single uh, beam. It's a slow process. The the, the idea around uh, our concept is that you can build floors on the ground and then you can just lift uh, columns into position with a crane and drop floors straight over those columns. So um, grabbing this again, if that's a, that's a column um, as part of a, a structure, that there might be four of them, then a crane can just lower that segment, uh, which may be a whole floor, and it would just fit on and there's no scaffolding, there's no workers at height and there's no there's no several weeks of erection. So yeah, so speed, speed difference. What, give, give, give me give me an example of the old way of doing it speed versus your way of doing it speed. Okay, so you just saw that I put a beam onto a column. Yep. Uh, if you picture the Meccano sets um, that we used to have in our toy box, yep. um, you'd be standing around with uh, a nut and a bolt right now and, and you're probably still putting that beam onto that, onto that column. 
So that's the difference. You, you know, so are, we, are we talking like, you know, something that would take weeks can be done in days? Or is, uh, yeah, you, I think so. So, I mean, that, that fundamentally, you know, changes the, how quickly as a society we can continue to kind of build. And, and I mean, in your particular situation with the mining, I suppose that means getting something new up and running is can be quite fast and, and time, time in business can often equal money. So the faster they can get up and running, uh, that's a competitive advantage for a lot of your clients. Yeah. And then you start thinking of different things. So, for example, if you're trying to um, put one piece to another, in our example where the connection you've got two pieces, you can embed a, a little wireless transmitter into both of those pieces that are, that are aligned when the, when the thing's installed. That signal could be relayed back to um, the operator that can confirm that the uh, connection is being done properly. So it's, it's fully bedded down, if you like, and connected. So you're saying there's a sensor inside or uh, attached at the same time of connecting it is it in a way like your quality control, your QA of checking it's been done right? Yeah, yeah, it could be the quality control. We're starting to put sensors, you know, this is called the Internet of Things um, yeah. in, in common language. So we're starting to look at putting all different sorts of sensors into into all different things. Um, computers in fridges is probably where it all started. And, and we now put uh, sensors uh, into bridges, for example. So uh, the, the asset owners of bridges can monitor loads and, and, and performance of the bridges over time. Certainly on a connection like this, all we need to do is provide a little space inside the connection um, for two sensors, one on the one on one piece and one on the other, and a little program that, that knows when they're both, both touching each other. And later we can use those monitoring devices to just um, keep an eye on the stresses on the structure so that if you know, the, the wind is particularly high and um, the building's swaying, we can look on a computer and see what the stresses are in the structure and, and whether we whether we have a problem or not. So, um, oh, wow. you know, when you do something different and you tell somebody then they, or you read something, it's, hey, we could do this, we could do that, and, and things then snowball if you let that happen. Yeah, and so, so I mean, this Internet of Things, like I'd never even thought about. It, it makes so much sense now that you say it, but I'd never thought about putting Internet of Things, Internet-enabled uh, sensors on something like a bridge. I mean, you, you, you know, we've heard in the news recently about you know, a bridge that, collapsed now mm. had that had sensors maybe that would have been detected far earlier and that that you know catastrophe could have been avoided we're talking we're not just talking about smart homes inside our homes we're, we're talking about a future of potentially the buildings themselves being intelligent and sending data back to monitoring stations and then you combine that with say ai this fascinating stuff mm. yeah let's talk a bit about that i mean i know you're doing some cool stuff with drones and modeling as well can you quickly touch on that? Let's touch on some of the stuff you're doing with the, you've got drones essentially going around and taking photos, uh, mm. scanning to create these 3D models. And then I believe they're connecting to some of these sensors in the building. Is that correct? Like talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, I'll give that a go. So certainly in our business, we do structural audits. So we're, look, we're looking at old structures that are falling apart um, or getting close to doing that. And so that's, that's one of our service offerings. So we have a, a client in the in New South Wales, um, out in Cobar, and um, and in that particular instance, there's a there's a number of concrete bins that are about 60 years old and various levels of degradation, um, and so that started. We won that job because of an innovative thought to abseil down the side of them. And I like abseiling, so it's no brainer for me to put that in um, competitive price for that, and um, and so that's what we started doing when we were assessing the bins. 
um, was to yeah, just hang off the side of them and, and, and look at the concrete. And we've, we've, we still do, we have a six monthly uh, job to inspect these bins. And uh, the third time we went back, um, we decided to use a, a drone. And, um, and so our structural engineer, John, stood next to the drone guy. And, um, and basically in the comfort of the ground and safety of the ground, um, he had a good look over all of the parts that um, we hadn't been able to get to either with a crane box or, or with the outside here. So that's how we, that, that's the fundamental use, I guess, for, for um, drones in structural inspection. Always wanting to offer more. We, what can we do with these drones? You can create 3D models from the data that you capture from, from drones and even from fixed cameras. And we've been playing around relatively unsuccessfully with that for some time. So we've got a whole bunch of photos and we've created kind of a Call of Duty walkthrough game yeah. um, of, our, of our structures. And what we want, what we're still trying to pursue is the end game, is, is that the, the boardroom is full of, um, of stakeholders that are actually interested in, in their assets and without thumbing through, and I've got to say it, they're our reports, but without thumbing through a hundred-odd page boring report on structural problems, looking at photos and, and our, our sentences saying what should be, should be done, what I'd much rather people do is, is use a mouse or a joystick and, and surf through their structure. And when they get to a certain area, there's a little pop-up box that says this is, this is, uh, this is no good. We've got a month to fix it, um, and you know from there it's it's endless again, Carl. You can click on the box and, and get a, a work order uh, sent straight to uh, needs to receive it, um, and all of that can be done without coming through boring old reports. Because what we found is that people don't do that. So quite yeah. often observations become recommendations, recommendations become forgotten. Interactiveness. Every, everyone just, we like to be involved. We like to be interactive. And I can definitely see that. I mean, no one wants to read those those boring reports. They might have to, but they don't really want to, right? Yeah. So to be able to have something that feels more like a computer game. And and I, you know, you sent me a link to one. And uh, if, I'm, if I'm allowed to share that with um, the show notes, I, I will. But uh, that was really great at visualizing just how easily you can kind of explore this building as you say connecting that back then to hey there's a problem here and being able to then 3d print the new piece or to put in a work order for someone to go in and fix it or like that's um that's pretty amazing let's talk about the future i mean like with what you know is happening just in your industry alone if we project out 10 20 30 years what do you think the impact of all of this is going to have not like on your industry, but also just in society in general? How is it going to impact our cities? How is it going to impact jobs? What do you see when you think to the future? Yeah, I don't know. I can talk about where we're heading, I suppose, in our industry. I can, see, um, I can see so much more 3D modelling now than, than the old way of doing things. Certainly, you know, we, met, we mentioned I've been in this business for 30 years, so we started with drawings uh, on on drafting tables and A0 prints, and then CAD came. and. Um, and that was fairly, you know, new into when I was a younger engineer. Um, CAD came, and, and some people said, oh, "I'm not learning CAD." You know, I've only got five years to retirement, and, and of course, you couldn't ignore it. it. Everything started to become drafted using two-dimensional computer um, drafting packages. Two D has become three D, and 
the latest thing that's happening now by some uh, and not by everybody, I suppose, so it's the current future thing, the current future, if that makes sense, is um, is modeling bits, modeling, they call it BIM, so it's building information modeling. So things are put together as objects. So you know, in a piping system, you might have a pump, you might have a, a flange on both sides of it, a bit of pipe on both sides of it. All of those things are, are objects with predefined parameters, so diameter and length, just as an example. A pump might be a particular manufacturer. So if you imagine drawing that back in the day um, and then someone wanted to change something, everything would have to be redrawn. Um, yeah. Currently now, everything's a database-driven thing, so you'd wander over to the draftsman and you'd say, we're going to use a Warman pump, not that brand. He'd say, no problem. He would replace the pump and the entire drafting package would update all of the dimensions and everything that changed because of that. Um, and, you know, you, anything you can think of that changes pushes everything else around. And, of course, in the background, the computer software is doing flash detection. So if you chose something too big and it struck a column right nearby, um, then you would be alerted to that and, and you'd have to deal with that. So you might move the whole thing half a metre one way and, again, the whole thing would change. Um, the biggest hurdle we've now got with companies that are starting to use that technology to create plant designs and things is the lack of any drawings. So it becomes a, a debate on how are we going to sign off on this thing. I mean, we're used to looking at a drawing and putting a signature in the box. So now how do we do that? And these are issues big enough to squash any any idea of using this sort of technology yeah. with the current decision makers. And I suppose um, in some ways, if, if, if it's so easy to just swap out a part and change things, deciding when it's done, it's like, no, we're not changing anything more. I can so see that. It's like, oh, well, it's just a simple change, right? We're not that far along. Surely we can make the decision now to, to change this. Um, so, yeah, getting that final closure of saying, no, it's done. Yeah, absolutely. That, that can become really hard. And I mean, you know, the best project manager is the one that draws a line and says, that's it. We're not doing it any other way. You know, we'll have our opportunity again. We've got to move on. And, and, um, and so that could be a bad thing. Um, you know, the, the great aspect of technology and how, how change is so simple could make us, um, unable to make decisions in the future. We've got too many opportunities for choice and, and, and change. So um, that could be something, but, Again, we're really just dealing with a current parameter that stops us from from growing. We have to we have to grow up and and deal with that. So we can't sign a drawing anymore. I'm sure we can get around that. There's another there's another way. So yeah, you know, I mean we're, we're doing that in our office. We, you know, we we approve a model of one of our clients, um, and we take a picture, a snapshot of the model. We we note its timestamp. And we sign a piece of paper basically with a little snapshot on it that says this is the model we've seen and we're happy with. If you change it in the future, I, I guess I've got a little bit of paper that, that, that protects me. So, you well, know, in the way. future, you could potentially link it in with the blockchain and then use the blockchain smart contracts to say it's done. So, you know, if you want to really connect it into the future, that, that might be a way you could go. It'll yeah. no longer be pieces of paper signed. It'll be signed through the, through the blockchain ledger possibly. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay. So, yeah, I think the future is going to be one where we where we more where we create more because we've got you know the, the options become a lot endless really the um, the manufacturing constraints have just disappeared because we can print anything um, and we can you know model everything the customers can see what they're, they're getting before they um, before they order it you know in the case of a house 
no one has to read house plans anymore. You know, I, I think I think for ages now, if you've been a new house purchaser, you've, you've sat in the office of the, of the builder and, and, and had a look at your house fully furnished and walking from room to room. And you know, that's 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 how it is now. So um, if if not everyone's doing it, we'll, we'll see that soon. And so it allows us to visualise things and, and create. The 3D scanning thing, the 3D modelling thing um, was demonstrated to us by Bentley Systems, one of the big com- worldwide companies for software development. And they, they had the gig to um, plan out the, I think it was Philadelphia, when the Pope visited America, they scanned the entire city of Philadelphia into a computer. And then they used that computer model to create the, the road um, Transport plan from the airport to the to the city hall, and uh, they did everything in a virtual world. They actually put the crowd there, and they went through every possible scenario, um, security, uh, and and everything um, based on based on a whole bunch of photographs from an aeroplane. Basically, is how it started. And um, so, yeah, I mean, there was a few dollars behind that, I imagine. Um, but as that technology becomes more and more accessible to everybody. It opens up so many possibilities, doesn't it? So, Absolutely. It's hard, it's hard to answer your question about what the future will look like. Well, I think um, I think you have. I mean, it, it's showing that the, the ramifications of, of 3D modeling, as you've just talked about, the ramifications of, of 3D printing of uh, metals, and it's going to just continue to snowball. I mean, I personally have envisaged a future where we at home have our 3D printer who maybe it can straight out of you know, um, atoms create anything it needs. You know, you don't even need different things. It'll just be able to manipulate different uh, atoms to create what you want. Yeah, that's why would you go to that? That's actually very scary. That's actually very scary. Absolutely, and it's a potential future, though. I think I think that really uh, we could see, and what you're working on is some of the forefront of 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 that, and actually using it in day to day applications. We'll start to wrap up in a second. So, I mean. I want. I suppose one of the key questions I'd love to know of you is bringing it back from the future and talking more about where we're at now and the things mm. you're doing now. If you were to give, let's say you were having a conversation, maybe one of our listeners is a young, uh, smart, driven person who's just come out of their engineering degree or they're just going into to university or they're looking at their career. What would you, with what you know about what's happening in your industry in particular, what would be your advice to them to be able to stay on top of where things are headed, as well as where things are at right now? Yeah, I suppose um, I suppose we're all getting wrapped up into this whirlwind of fast track projects and everything. It, it, it's hard to give advice to a, a graduate to not get wrapped up in that. I mean, I'm probably guilty of wrapping my graduates up into that same whirlwind anyway. But to just work in a progressive company, I think, and, and, and someone or a company that's open to change. Um, it reminds me of my first interview, um, Carl, where computers were, were new. You know, in my final year, I bought a, an old well, new computer then. I bought a computer to do my project with, and I was quite keen on computers and how they were going to change uh, the engineering profession. And so I went to Connell Wagner, which is a highly respected uh, Australian company, uh, and my question to them was, uh, what's your thoughts on computers and do you use them? And the answer was, uh, we have one computer which we allow the senior structural engineer to use as a checking tool, but we don't allow our staff 
our engineers to use it, and I declined the job offer with Colonel Wagner because I just thought that that was a, a silly idea. We're talking back in the days of Tandy computers. That I remember Tandy. I used, as a kid, I used to love going to Tandy and and play, you know, buying the little kits and different things from there. I was I was a real geek as a kid going to Tandy. Yeah. So yeah, choose you choose some someone that's a that's a progressive thinker. I think is important, and then and then don't feel that you you're not that yourself. So um, you you know you, your contribution as at the beginning of your career is just as as good, if not better, uh, than those at the at the other end. I mean, you know, young people are so much more open to new things than, than old people. So um, and that's the thing that that's the, the the biggest challenge we've got ahead of ourselves with uh, Alt Connect is is change and the reason for change. Uh, we need a shock to change generally as, as human beings. We don't just change for change's sake. So um, I think I think that's the biggest hurdle. So what kind of a shock are you do you think is gonna gonna need to be required to create the change? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think I think just a hard a lot of hard effort on our part to demonstrate the to demonstrate the safety and the cost benefits and, and the time benefits associated with it, uh, and then and then they're yeah, thinking beyond what we what we're currently thinking beyond mining structures to uh, commercial and residential developments. Perhaps we can throw up a a, a post disaster structure very quickly um, using something like our connection technique um, that would you know obviously save our lives because. Um, People would be housed uh, sooner rather than later. So, yeah, yeah. And that disaster relief. Uh, that's yeah. that's huge. That's a huge benefit. I can see. Wow, that's yeah. And so I guess um, that, that's why I appreciate this podcast because um, the audience needs to be vast and 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 diverse for everyone that's listening to hear their version of what's coming and, and what what could be done with that. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, um, I was thinking, I was thinking before you thinking about visualising the future. It always brings me to a memory um, in our Perth museum, which is shut down for a couple of years while they rebuild it. But um, there was a big mural in, in the museum that was created. I don't know when, but probably not long after um, the first planes. Um, and it was a mural of the city uh, in a hundred years, I think. And um, so there was a number of buildings, none more than about three or four stories. Um, and there was this massive aeroplane in the sky, which is very visionary, but it was a biplane still. So they hadn't moved past the concept of needing biplane wing technology. So looking into the future with, with, with the present that we have um, is, is a bloody hard job. Very true. Try to, very true. Very wise. And so on that note, we'll, we'll wrap up. But thank you so much uh, for joining us and sharing with us what you're doing. And, and for any of those listening, uh, wondering what some of that background noise is, Dave's in his office and he's uh, got his team members busy working away. Um, so if you're wondering what that was, that's what it was. So how if anyone wants to kind of stay in the loop, get in contact with you because they're excited or want to, interested in learning more about what you're doing, what's the best way for people to kind of stay in contact and, and stay up to date with what you're working on with yeah, everything you're working on with Alt Connect and, and everything. Yeah, well, we're updating the website at the moment. So um, certainly within days, if not um, weeks, we'll have um, the new website up and running. But the current website is yenum.com.au um, and that will put uh, people in touch with us. You can join our mailing list and, and 
the best thing would be to just either send an email or, or, or grab the phone number and give us a call and tell me what you want to know. Perfect. Uh, that's Yenem, which is Y-E-N-E-M.com.au. Yeah, reach out. And if you're an international, you will need to add in your international dialing code for Australia. It's plus six one if you're uh, calling them from an international number, but maybe email is the easiest thing to do. Again, Dave, thank you so much for sharing with us You know what you're working on. I wish you the best of luck. I'm, I'm excited to see... And next time I catch up with you, I want to hear about the, the you know, what's been happening, what new uh, innovation you've made with Alt Connect and your 3D modeling. And I, I'm, I'm looking forward to you telling me that you've integrated it with blockchain to make the sign-off process <laughs> work. That, uh, that would make my day. <laughs> uh, thank you. It's, it's a pleasure. Awesome. See you later. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Future of Humanity podcast. To download the latest episode and find the transcript and various resources mentioned in today's episode, visit our website at foh.show. That's F-O-H as in Future of Humanity and show as in S-H-O-W. You can also, via our website, contact me with any feedback or suggestions for future episodes. So please do reach out. Now, if you haven't already subscribed, you can find the links to subscribe on all your favorite platforms at foh.show slash subscribe. That's foh.show slash subscribe. And more importantly, if you'd like to continue the conversation from today's episode and connect with other listeners, then you can join our free community at foh.show slash community, foh.show slash community. I look forward to seeing you there.